the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening. I'm Kyle Welch, and welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. We are here every night at this time on KKLA to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to lift up His name to the entire city of Los Angeles. No matter if you are listening tonight from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that tonight's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to all our listeners. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. We have three campuses. Uh, the people watch uh, online on Aqua Dulce and Woodland Hills here in Porter Ranch. We have people indoors. We have people outdoors. We have people watching on the internet, listening on the radio, television. Several people, they, they write me uh, from all over the world. Someone, a lady named Pauline wrote me this week from Huntington Beach, and she told me uh, she's, she's 80, she's in her 80s, like 85, but when she was a young girl, uh, she went to my grandfather's church back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's been watching every week online. I want to welcome Pauline to our service today. And then there's a lady named uh, Mary who is the caregiver for my in-laws, Ronnie and Darlene Epps back in Kansas City, and they have been uh, having some tough times uh, physically, and they have a caregiver. And just because uh, they're my in-laws, they got her watching every weekend, so Mary's watching from Kansas City. I want to welcome Mary. And, and one more, I got a buddy named uh, Tim, he's, his name is Tim Venturi, and he's the son of the great famous golfer Ken Venturi. And Tim Venturi lives in Indian Wells, uh, California. He watches every weekend, and without fail, he'll always write me a note just telling me how much he enjoyed the sermon. So I want to welcome Tim Venturi and all the people all around the world. Let's thank all the people who are with us. I want you to take your Bibles uh, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We've been studying through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, is an incredible uh, study. Uh, Today, chapter 6 is a passage that is the culmination of everything we have studied thus far. I do want to catch those of you that are new up to speed, and if you've been with us every week, you'll know this material but Nehemiah, who, who this book is about, uh, he wrote or he um, lived in uh, an area, he was, an, he was what's called an exiled Jew. He was not born in the land of Israel. What had happened 130 years, 130 years before this story took place, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, which is a world power, came to Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple, and they destroyed all the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And then they carried the Jews who lived there 
about a thousand miles across the hot desert sands to the land of Babylon, where the Jews were held in captivity. And uh, several uh, things happened, but Persia, which was another world power, eventually conquers Babylon. And the Persians were freer in their cooperation with the Jews who lived in that area. Nehemiah, of course, was born during that period in captivity. He raised up to where he was a cupbearer for the king, King Artaxerxes of Persia. And Nehemiah, this is all back in chapter 1, he gets word that the walls in Jerusalem are still lying in ruin. It's been 130 years and the walls are still destroyed. And Nehemiah gets word about this and he seeks God's blessing and he seeks the king's favor to return to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. And after garnering favor and passports, Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem. The very first thing that he does is he inspects the walls and sees the work that needs to be done. Nehemiah chapter 3, he organizes all the people and they begin to rebuild those walls. Nehemiah chapter 4, the resistance and attacks come from those who do not want the walls rebuilt. But Nehemiah has to reorganize the people again to keep the project moving forward. And so that leads us here to chapter 6. We're going to see three major parts to this captivating biblical story of Nehemiah rebuilding these ancient walls of Jerusalem. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. First thing that we see is this opposition, what I call opposition galore. We have seen over and over again throughout this story, at every turn there is this opposition. We know that Nehemiah, according to Nehemiah 2 verse 18, we know that he's doing a good work. We know this is a good thing to do. We also know that these troublemakers keep attempting to derail him at every turn. And we see these troublemakers in chapter 2. We saw them in chapter 4. And here we are in chapter 6. These three troublemakers, you should know their names by now, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem keep raising their ugly attempts to thwart the work of God. They ridiculed Nehemiah. They mocked the Jews. They threatened the workers physically. They tried almost everything they could to derail the work of God. I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to show you a few verses where we're introduced to these three unsavory characters. Verse 1, Sanballat. Everybody say Sanballat. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not yet set the doors in the gate. So they're almost finished. Verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together 
in one of those little villages out there on that plain of, oh, no. I want everyone to say, oh, no. Say that one more time. As I t- teach my grandchildren, uh-oh, spaghetti-o. That's, oh, no, spaghetti Okay. Come meet us on the plain of, oh, no. But they, the Bible says that they were scheming to harm me. Verse 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great work, a great project. I cannot go down. I cannot come down. Why? Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you down there on that plane of, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm, oh, no. I'm not going to, oh, no. Verse 4. Now, watch this. Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same what? The same answer. Verse 3 is one of my favorite lines in this entire book. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Four times, four times, they said, hey, Nehemiah, come down off that wall. Nehemiah, come, let's go, let's go to the plain of Ono. Nehemiah, stop, stop rebuilding that wall. Let's get together. Four times they said, come down off that wall. And four times Nehemiah said, send them the same message. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Oh, that's a powerful statement. Anytime you're trying to live for God, anytime you're trying to be like Jesus. Now, I'm glad that you're in church today. Give yourselves a hand. But being in church does not make you a Christian. Just because you're here does not mean you're a Christian. I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. I wish the whole world was here today. But if you ever become a Christian, it's because you've made a decision to become a Christian. You have to look at everything, and you look at the world, and you look at, you look at Christianity, and you kind of think through it, and in your heart, you, you reach this point where you're going to put your faith in trust, and you just like, I, I like, like for now on, I, I think I, for, I'm going to give my life to Christ. It's a decision that you make. And any time you make a decision... For God, for God's work, for God's uh, kingdom, to work, to serve, to volunteer. Uh, It it could even be the job that you have. You feel like that job was a a God-given calling upon your life. Anytime you choose to do the work of God, there will always be the Sanballats and the Tobias and the Geshems, the people that will come alongside and mock you and ridicule you and threaten you and will attempt to derail you. That, that will always happen when you make that type of decision. This church right here, I believe, would be the largest church in the United States of America if the enemy had not derailed and discouraged so many of you and caused so many people to quit over the years. We know that Satan will do anything to thwart the work of God. We know that. And he'll use discouragement. He'll use division. He'll use diversion. He'll use distractions, anything in his arsenal to thwart the work of God. Uh, David Hawking tells the story that he was invited to preach at a particular church to do a series of evangelistic meetings. And one night, he stood up to preach, and he looked out, over the audience and he could tell that something was wrong he could just he he could sense 
the bitterness and the division, he said nobody was singing and nobody was responding. And even as he was preaching, he felt that no one was listening. And so right in the middle of his sermon, he just stopped and he closed his Bible. And he said, I have to ask what's wrong. Something's wrong here. I can feel it. The pastor sitting down on the front row about had a heart attack. And the pastor literally got up from his church, his, his chair, and came up and, and started talking to David Hawking on the platform. And he said, we've been having some problems in our church. And David Hawking said, well, what kind of problems are you having? And the pastor said, well, you're not going to believe this, but we're remodeling the church basement. And our church has become divided over what color we're going to paint the walls. And David looked at him like, are you, are you serious? And he said, yes. He said, I, I know this sounds crazy. He goes, but some people just believe that we ought to paint those walls blue because blue is like the color of sky. And it, it kind of reminds us of heaven, the place where we're all going. And, and some people in our church thinks the walls should be painted green because green represents growth. And that's why we're having these classes down in the basement. And he goes, we've just become divided over the color of the paint in the basement. And David Hawking said, and you expect this meeting to do any good when that's all you care about? And then he said, does anyone in the audience know how to paint? And a little old man in the back stood up. And David Hawking said, I make a motion that we appoint that fellow right there to paint the basement. And he can paint the basement any color he wants. And the rest of us will just spend the rest of our lives criticizing him for the color that he chose. And they kind of laughed. And then he said, what we really ought to do is we all ought to go downstairs and paint those walls dark gray for the sin that's in this church. And from that point on, they had a pretty good meeting there at the church. You know, when I was a young man, just starting out in ministry, I never, it never dawned on me how many people in the church would be negative and critical and petty. I I literally spend every day, every waking moment of my life, whether I'm working, playing, dreaming, uh, whatever I'm doing, I have one thought in my head, what can we as a church do to glorify Jesus Christ and make a difference in the city in which we live? That's the only thought I have. And all these years later, after battling so many people every week on certain issues, I now know that in every church, not just this church, they're in every church, are the naysayers and the criticizers and the troublemakers and the dividers and the distractors. People who sit around, there are people who sit around all week long and never, they never lift one finger in the kingdom of God and yet they want to show up from time to time and just cause trouble at every opportunity. Nehemiah was doing a good work. And four times his enemy said, come down off of that wall. And Nehemiah every time said, I can't come down off this wall. I'm doing a great work for God. 
What Nehemiah, what Nehemiah should have said, instead of you sitting out there and trying to get me off of this wall, why don't the three of you come up and join me on this wall and let's finish this project to the glory of God. Now that's what he should have said. Which leads me to my second point. Now stay with me, stay with me, because what I'm getting ready to talk about next is, a, is another level this is a whole nother level of opposition that we see next. And I want, I want you to write this down. I call this the fear-mongering from Geshem. Fear-mongering from Geshem. Everybody say Geshem. Don't ever name your kid Geshem. Let's look at Nehemiah 6. Now, Nehemiah's up on the wall. He's working. Verse 4 says that four times, how many times? Four times they kept telling him, come down off that wall. Let's go meet on the plane of, oh no. We got some things we want to talk about. He knew that they were just scheming to harm him. He says, I cannot come down. Tells them the same to four times. Four, four times. He says, I can't come down. I can't come down. I can't come down. Well, these guys are relentless. Look at verse 5. Then the fifth time, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. Now this time in his hand was a, was a what? It was an unsealed letter. What's, this, what's the significance of an unsealed letter? Well, usually if a, if a letter came and it had authority, it would have an emblem. It would be sealed. So you know that no one had tampered with it. But the text says that this letter was unsealed. So they bring this letter. It's unsealed, which means it could be, could, anybody could write anything on it, right? But here's what the letter says. Now pay attention how this goes. It is reported among the nations. And... Geshem says it's true. I mean, if Geshem says it, it has to be true. You see where we're going here? That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, which Geshem says are true, you are about to become their king, and you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. Nehemiah said this in reply. He said, up your nose with a rubber hose. <laughs> That's what he said. Just, just, it's fun to just turn to your neighbor and say, up your nose with a rubber hose. I mean, it's getting deep in here. What does he say? Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just, you're just making this stuff up. Pay very careful attention to verse 9, how it starts. They were trying 
to what? Frighten me. That's fear-mongering. Have you ever, I know you think you know what fear-mongering is. Have you ever looked up fear-mongering in the dictionary to see exactly what it is? I did. Can I show it to you? Here's what it says. Definition of fear-mongering. Deliberately spreading fearful, frightening, and exaggerated rumors of an impending danger to purposely arouse fear in order to manipulate the public. Hmm. Hmm. Have I seen that in this country? That 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 sounds like normal operating procedures for every mainstream outlet in the United States of America. It's fearmongering. And do you know what another word for fear-mongering is? It's lying. That's all it is. It's lying. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us there are seven things. Look at Proverbs 6. I'll put it on the screen. It says there are six things that the Lord just hates. There are seven that He detests. And I want to read them to you. Verse 17 Number one on that list are haughty eyes. Number two is a lying tongue. The third thing that he hates are hands that shed innocent blood. He hates it. Verse 18, the fourth thing on that list is a heart that that devises wicked schemes and feet that rush into evil. There's two more things on that list that he hates. Verse 19, one is a false witness who pours out lies. That's fear-mongering. That's Geshem. And the seventh thing on that list is what's called Uh, scandal mongering it's a man who stirs up dissension among brothers verse 19 is a biblical description of fear mongering and scandal mongering and god detests both of those things those who delight in sowing discord god can't stand that if you were moved by pastor dudley's message tonight We want you to know we have phone counselors standing by and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. Ephesians 6 reminds us of the many gifts we have been given by God. And prayer is one of the greatest assets we have as Christians to fend off any attack by the enemy. So please don't hesitate to call us if you are alone and need to pray with someone right now. 
If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. Deep in the heart of every believer, there's a faint whisper, a call, a prompting. We go about our business and we hear it. We see and interact with lost people every day, and the whisper echoes again for us to share our faith and tell others about Jesus. And yet, we still resist. In his latest book, Compelled, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shares his earnest desire for each and every believer to be equipped with the good news of salvation. He encourages you with inspiring stories of men and women, young and old, who have accepted the irresistible call to share Jesus with everyone they meet. And he provides practical methods to overcome your fears and effectively articulate the message of salvation. Thousands of readers have already taken advantage of this incredible book, and now it's here for you. Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith, can be yours right now for a gift of $15 or more to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as easy as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith on our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover for yourself the strength that awaits inside you to speak boldly to others of how Jesus Christ has changed your life forever. Don't hesitate. Call us right now and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's latest book, Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us every weeknight at the same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.